Hello, and welcome to the Teaching in the City podcast series from the Center for Teaching Excellence and Innovation, also called City, at Rush University. Teaching in the City features conversations with faculty and staff on topics related to teaching and learning at one of the nation's leading academic medical centers. My name is Dr. Angela Solik, and I'm the director of City. It has been my own personal mission to help faculty become better educators and leading City helps me on that mission. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Teaching in the City. Today, we're going to build upon the previous episode and continue our conversation about the emotional labor of teaching. This time, our guests are Tamika Dowling, Caleb Simmons, and Darlene Ritz. This topic about the emotional labor of teaching really has not been studied for quite some time. And I hope that perhaps this podcast episode and the previous one interests people enough so maybe they start investigating this a little bit further to help those who are in teaching professions. I know at least the guests from the previous episode are talking about doing a conference presentation about it, which is pretty cool. So let's get to know our podcast participants. First, Tamika. Hi, everyone. I am uh, Tamika Dowling. I'm an assistant professor and director of DMP Curriculum and Operations at Rush University College of Nursing. As a director of nationally ranked DMP program, I am focused on ensuring standardized processes within the program, the college, and the university that promote educational equity, inclusive learning environments, as well as integrate instructional strategies for our diverse learners. Thank you. Caleb. Hi, everyone. I am Caleb Simmons. I am a professor of religious studies uh, in the College of Humanities at University of Arizona. I'm also the faculty director of the university's interdisciplinary studies program, which serves as uh, our completion degree. And then the job that takes most of my time is I'm also the executive director of online education for the university, overseeing Arizona Online, our um, online modality that serves over 9,000 students um, across the world, really. So you have three jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you know, it's funny because we're going to, I saw some of the things we're going to talk about and we're going to talk about those multiple hats, but that's, that's funny. Uh, Darlene, how about you? Hello, everyone. I am Darlene, and I am the Higher Education Product Specialist for Beyond Campus Innovation. And what that means is that my role includes uh, researching higher education, the trends, the directions. We are in such a state of flux in higher education right now, and I'm looking for ways to be to deliver education that is engaging and effective in learning competencies. Um, I know that education is a transformative process. I've been doing this for 20 years and we need to, in order for education to be effective, the learner needs to be treated as a holistic entity, not just a student in a classroom. Right, which literally lends itself to the stuff we're talking about because the teacher has to be all these different types of people. So that w- that'll be interesting to talk about. So thank you everyone for introducing yourself. The first question today is, what are some of the emotional parts of teaching that students don't see? Or you think that people might take for granted who do not teach at the college level? 
Tamika, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, this is a great question. And I think sometimes people think that faculty or educators come in with just a black and white viewpoint or approach, like either you do the work or you don't. They don't weigh in, um, you know, different entities or the student or situations. And um, I don't think that's really true for most of us who um, are teaching and working day to day with students. Uh, we tend to actually toil over making decisions that um, decisions, when it's decision related, we tend to um, take in consideration the individual, the student situation, um, and not just say, well, you didn't meet this deadline. If it's not in by this time, then, oh, well, I mean, that person could be in a hospital. That person could be sick. Their children may be sick. So we have to weigh in those things. The other thing I think um, in a teaching setup uh, that people think, or the students or people who don't teach, think that we just come in with this preconceived um, idea, which we have that preconceived idea and we have notes but that we don't deviate from them. You know, we could start out with, this is my approach, um, but we wanna also not just take the idea, but we have to expand it and think of how can I take this one concept and teach it to different learning styles? You know, you have those who like the lecture, uh, the one way type uh, deal where you're just talking and speaking and, you know, just pouring out all your, your brain to them and, and your experience. But then you, um, for myself and for others, you know, you want to then think about the students who um, are learning more tactile. They have to put their hands on it. So even if it's not a lab type course and it's more of a didactic course, it's talking in case scenarios or different situations so that people can think about that concept and then how you apply it. You know, so I think that people sometimes don't take in or they think that faculty teach and at a one size fits all. And that's not necessarily the case that we do take in empathy and we think about how to be fair as we're being empathetic to um, a student situation um, as well as their learning style. That's a wonderful answer. I have so many things I wanna say, but I'm waiting. <laughs> Dar Darlene, do you have something to add into that? Yes, I do. My experience is that most people who choose a teaching profession are not only looking for a job, but they're looking for a way to pass our knowledge down. Uh, we're looking for a way to continue the learning and the growth of our industries or our subsets or whatever it is that our discipline that we are focused on. And being the kind of person that goes all in and being the kind of person that cares about each and every student as they walk through the room can be a very emotionally draining experience. Um, I do think that our, that the demands on the teachers and the things that are expected of teachers that are not necessarily written in our job descriptions can be very draining. We do expect our teachers to be the safety officer in the classroom. We do expect our teachers to be the behavioral controllist. We do expect our teachers to be empathetic and inspirational and knowledgeable and have control over everything and, and, and. And what we forget sometimes is that teachers are human beings. 
We have feelings and thoughts and ideas ourselves. And sometimes pouring our knowledge and our experience and our expertise into all of these hopefully hungry minds that are sitting in our classroom can be very draining. Uh, it's also very energizing mm -hmm. and exciting, and that's why we do it, but it's certainly draining as well. For sure, for sure. Caleb, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, teaching is emotional, right? You, you typically, most people go into teaching, don't do it because they're going to make, you know, a fortune doing it. They go into for to it for a, a love of um, just like you said, passing on that that knowledge. Um, and so there's that you know energy and emotional cost that go into it from day one. But then when we dive deeper into the actual experience and getting to know our students, I think one thing that's often uh, taken for granted um, is the connections that we have with those students and the things that we learn about those students, but then still also having to, to do the job. Uh, because I, I would love it if every student I ever taught got an A um, and they all you know were able to make it through 100%. Uh, but part of the job is also being fair and equitable. And there's you know it becomes difficult when you learn about people's situations. You, you try to connect them with the best resources. You try to support. Uh, but people aren't always successful. And it becomes our duty and our job then to... You know, even though we know there's you know, certain struggles and all these things, we still have to assign a, a grade and it may not be the, the grade that students want. And I don't think it's always recognized that that's a very difficult situation to be in um, because you know that it has ramifications for uh, you know, scholarships, for all these things, but we still have to do it. And it's something that, you know, it's it seems mean almost to some students that we we have to do that, but it's it's a part of the job. And one that winds up really, you know, it's the type of thing that keeps you up at night. It does. It it do, It's hard not to make teaching personal. I think mm -hmm. I've, some people in my career where I've trained faculty for a really long time, I've met some that just are detached. And it doesn't mean they're bad teachers. It just means they don't feel as, as others feel. But yeah, that this first question kind of, you all hit the nail on the head about the feeling part of it that people just don't get to see. And then Caleb talking about the students' lives outside of school, that really leads into our next question is that dealing with student issues is such an emotional part of teaching, especially when, you're, when you learn about their lives outside of school and their, the things that they're dealing with. But this, this is true at any level. How do you think student issues are unique at the college level and what is a strategy or two or whatever that you have for faculty to deal with some of these issues? So we're going to start with Darlene. Well, so Caleb, as you were speaking, I was remembering one of the defining moments in my early teaching career. Uh, when a student's grades suddenly seem to drop, that is usually indicative of something going on in their personal life. If a, if a student has been achieving for a long time and then all of a sudden things go, things go awry, usually that means that there's something going on. And 
I had sent an email, a couple of emails to a student that was in that situation. And she came into my into my office and I could still see the bruises on her neck oh. and the black eye. And um, her fiance had tried to kill her. Oh my gosh. I sat with her uh, because I was the person she came to. I was the person she knew. I was the person that she felt comfortable with. And there was no way that I was going to walk away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat with her for the rest of the day. We complete, you know, I took her down to student services. She asked me to stay with her while she was at student services. And of course I was going to. Uh, she asked me to stay with her. She filled out a restraining order as she called the police, as she gave her police report. And of course I was going to. The rest of my day was shot and I missed important meetings Mm -hmm. and I wasn't where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be there. And I had not sent emails or, or communications stating why. And I was so emotionally distraught from what this woman had experienced that I wasn't clear headed enough afterwards to say why I had been absent. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting written up for that. Um, I had to really take a step back and learn how to manage those, to be there for the student who is comfortable with me and to give them all of the, I do not regret my day with this woman whatsoever. I 100% made the right decision. Where I did fail, was being able to send the follow-up communications with sensitivity and not oversharing information as to why I had been absent. And that was something that I had to learn was when these issues do come up, when I do see them, how do I balance taking care of the situation that needs my support in that moment, and I'm literally talking about saving someone's life against being able to function myself. Yeah, it's like that compartmentalization. Mm-hmm. Not always easy to do. It's definitely nope. easy to do. Thank you for sharing that story. It's a very personal story, and I'm sure that you're not alone as an educator being faced with with such a serious situation like that. So thank you. And and it's not the only one that I've seen in my career. I've I've had students come to me with this was not the only life threatening situation that a student brought to me. And that's scary. That's sad. It's, it's scary. It's scary and it's sad. And of course, that is going to take everything I have that day. Right. And and probably for a while later, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, I know it's difficult to go after that story uh, that Darlene shared, but do you have any insight to add to this question? Yeah, I I think, you know, sort of piggybacking on that, and then I'll shift it a little bit. I mean, this is another thing that often, you know, flex back on the, the previous question about what's the, that unseen emotional labor, um, you know, coming out of grad school, 
most of us are not trained as counselors, as social workers, but we often find ourselves thrust into that position uh, because we're in a position of of authority, a position that requires trust. And it's often a thing that, you know, Darlene navigated it, it well for that student, but, you know, we're not always prepared to do that. And that often is also a, a source of anxiety. We don't know how to uh, to navigate it. So that's that's a difficult. And I think this gets to the, the heart of your question, which is about like, you know, what's unique about the college experience? And I think that, you know, for, for college, it's a, it's a different educational environment, but one that many of our students are familiar with the, with the relationship they have with teachers going through K through 12 and uh, the close bonds that are formed over uh, years of being in the same class. And so there's a, there's a, a, a different nature to that relationship, but one that uh, there's a historical trend which they can base it on. So I, I think there's like some there's some dissonance uh, and some expectations that don't necessarily always align from uh, the reality of, of what we think of ourselves as as higher educators and the reality that students live in. And you know, particularly, I'm thinking of it. It's not just people coming straight from high school uh, in the population that that we serve. It's you know a lot of post traditional, a lot of adult learners. But in any case, going to college is a period of um, transition. It's a period of stepping into something new. By its nature, you're you're acquiring new knowledge, and it's it's unsettling. And this unsettling experience. Uh, really heightens a lot of of other changes in your life, and often accompanies other changes. For you know, people coming high school to college, they're transitioning from often life at home uh, to now life away for the first time. For an adult learner, it might be accompanying a thinks thinking of changes in you know home st uh, status, like whether you you know you maybe got divorced or career status. You know, you're thinking about changing jobs, so it's it's a period of turmoil naturally. Uh, and when you're in a period of, of turmoil, things can start to accumulate in ways that make it very difficult. And then stepping into that role that you're not really ever professionally trained for, now you're a social worker, now you're trying to, to help people navigate that. Uh, the, the college experience in, in inherently is one that uh, both strengthens that relationship between educator and student, but also uh, separates it because there's not as much time there. So it winds up creating this perfect storm for emotions to to swirl both for the student and for the educator. Right. And and so I I had before we get to Tamika, I wanted to add here it's it's also that faculty, you'll have multiple faculty members as a student and they're all different. And they all do things differently and they respond to things differently. They have these different expectations, right? Whereas in high school you had one English teacher, you had one math mm -hmm. math teacher, right? And but they were generally consistent and you don't have that consistency. And then you end up having student issues because of the inconsistency and that, you know, causes anxiety for the student. So I know Tamika is probably going to hit on some of that. So I will jump to you, Tamika. It's okay. I, I want to kind of circle back to uh, Darlene's um, situation and, and, and also with what Caleb was saying, you know, students are coming into especially adult learners, they're coming from being these adults who are in charge of their labs. You know, they some of them are, um, you know, and already working in a professional setting, and they may even be leaders in their professional setting. And so they have to transition into the role of the student. 
which, you know, is, is challenged. It has its own challenges, right? Where they're used to things being a certain way and having that control. But then when they're in the role of the student, they don't have as much as control over the situation. So when their life, you know, life events, like I always tell my students, life life is happening and, and you can't avoid that. It's going to happen. So how do we make those adjustments? Where sometimes students will um, go within themselves, right? They, especially for nursing students, I, I, I can only speak from my experience where uh, as nurses, we're in charge of lives and, you know, we, we're the be all end all sometimes that, that we think so in our units and our environments. And then we go home and we're doing the same thing there. And then we come in the role of a student or they come in the role of a student. And when things aren't going just the way that they uh, like or have planned, sometimes they just shut down and and don't reach out or, and don't speak about it. And so now they get behind on assignments or they lash out, you know, you know uh, because they don't have any control over the situation. And so I think um, the best way to handle it is, is along the lines of what Darlene did. You know, um, as she mentioned earlier with the first question, you know, faculty or educators are humans and we have to not lose sight of our human touch and the human side of what we of who we are as people. Um, it's easy for some to just get into the role of the educator and just be one way. Um, I think you talked about that, Angela, earlier, where it's like, this is the way it is. It's very black and white, and they don't have any feeling. I can't feel. I can't. I don't want to show that because that's a vulnerability. Um, but I believe that as educators, uh, we are partnering with our students. You know, it's a collaboration. When I welcome the students to my course, I, in my email, I always say, you know, I'm looking forward to partnering with you this semester uh, because I'm here to help them to accomplish their, you know, their goal or their dream to go back to school at this particular time. And so I think we have to, as we're looking at the student issues, um, it's very emotional for us, even though we're not going through their situation uh, directly, we're on the outside or the indirect piece of it. And sometimes it does hit us the way Darlene's situation where that student is right there in her face with the, the bruises and the situation. And you can't turn a blind eye. You can't cut it off. You can't stop your emotions Um and I just say lean into those, you know, of course, there's a, a line and there's a boundary, but you're, our job as human beings are to be there to support others when they're going through something that's really tough. Um, and so that's what I would say um, for this particular question. That wasn't the way I was going to answer it. Uh, but, you know, with Darlene's uh, situation okay. uh, that she brought up and it reminded me of situations that I've had with students that were, you know, I had to come out of the role of, I'm here to teach you something in this course, because if you can't meet them where they are, even at the personal level of how they present themselves in that moment, they're not going to hear you in the classroom. They're not going to even receive what you have to say, because when they get into their mind on their own, they're going to say, I, I was vulnerable with this person and I needed them and they weren't here for me. They stayed with the, I'm sorry, I'm here to teach you in the 50 minutes what I'm supposed to teach you. So yeah. I don't know if that answers the question, but, you know, I just think, you know, that's one of the strategies of how we can deal with it is just accept that there are going to be times where, you know, we we can't lose sight of our emotional, uh, of, of our human capacity and, and just stay in that moment just as long as you have the boundaries and help that student as they uh, deal with their issues. And it's it's literally as if you and I planned this as a segue to question three. 
We so did not plan this. Okay. As I said, <laughs> but it's just, this just is kind of how it happens. And so question three is all about those unwritten expectations when it comes to the emotional labor of teaching, the expectations that nobody tells you about really, like sometimes faculty members are lucky enough to get a mentor, but I haven't seen that happen very often in my career in multiple institutions. So what are these expectations about sort of like the societal expectations or rules about feelings, okay, that are learned through experience and that aren't really written or talk and talked about. Some people have referred to this as teachers having to be professional actors. So like taking that emotion out of it. So do you think that that's something that educators are kind of told to do or encouraged to do? And what do you think about that, Caleb? You know, it's a it's a great point. And I think this is, you know, when we talk about professionalization, um, as we go throughout our, our graduate school experience, you know, it's it's sometimes coded in, through this very thing that we shouldn't show emotions. Our students should know nothing uh, about us other than the, the topic. And it's really kind of a, an old school, outdated way of thinking about you know, our role as educators. And I think this is a place where we're getting better as uh, higher education becomes more diverse and we start thinking about what education should be as opposed to what it has been. And so we can really start thinking about, you know, how we can professionalize to be humans um, who aren't the, you know, the the sole expert up on the, the what is the saying, the sage, sage on the stage, like that's not really our role. There's a lot of tools for students to get knowledge. It's our role as educators to coach them into how to to use that knowledge, how to apply it. And then as such, like talking about our own experiences, uh, it actually is beneficial for the students more than it is to be aloof. And so I think we're starting to to shift to to recognize one another as as co-learners, as, as uh, partners, as Tamika said, through this educational journey, because I know myself as an educator, like whenever I open up and show vulnerabilities, I also learn from my students. So I'm enriched through the process. And it actually helps me with some of that emotional burden by sharing it with my students that, you know, I also have struggles. You know, I, I like to share with my students whenever I write a journal article and it gets rejected. Uh, because you know you're yeah, you may have gotten a bad grade on this. Guess what? I got a bad grade also for my peers. So you know we're, we're humans. We make mistakes. The job is that we we take the feedback and we and we get better. Um, and this is I think the only way to really start fully educating our students is to open it up and let them see that you know, this is part of the broader context of of our lives and of their lives. I really like that answer. <laughs> Thank you. Darlene, what do you have to say? Caleb, you couldn't see this, but I was nodding my head the entire time. <laughs> uh, and I do want to, uh, I do want to close the loop on my story just really, really fast. That was one of the best success stories I've ever seen because that student graduated on time and on track. That's amazing. Yes. Um. There are, there are so many things that we as faculty were initially trained to professionalize. And I had to realize at some point in my life that I am not an actor. 
And I have absolutely no poker face. I have no poker face. If I feel it, you see it on my face. I just have never been able to hide that. So students are going to see my reactions to what they're doing, and I need to give words to those. Uh, when I give them those those reactions, I, I need to explain to them what my reaction is so that it's not misread. Because often that lack of poker face can be misread as something that I'm not intending. Uh, people say that my, my the look on my face when I'm trying to process what they've just said to me looks as though I doubt them or think of them as an idiot. And I, I have learned to try and say, I am processing the information you gave me. I believe you, I'm hearing it, and now I'm doing something with it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, we need to be human as well, and we are human as well. There are so many, uh, so many things that faculty are asked to do. How many of us have gone through safety training? How many of us have had to do the drills in our classroom that are inconceivable? Um, asking faculty members to be responsible for the safety of their classroom seems out of my scope of expertise. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things that we are asked to do. That is just one of those extreme examples. We are human. We have failures. We have times when our journal articles are not accepted or a piece I've collect I've made is not accepted into an exhibit. And those things are things that we learn from. And being co-learners with our students in their environments is absolutely the way that we have to go with teaching. COVID didn't ignition didn't ignite the change, but it certainly accelerated the change of teacher as sage on the stage to teacher as co-learner. The internet has given the world all of the world's information at our fingertips. And now our job as teachers is not necessarily just to share information, but to share knowledge, to share an understanding of how to take the information and apply it in our real world and apply it to the things that we are doing. Um, we're all learning as we go. We're all learning how to use AI as an effective tool and not as, um, you know, not as a crutch. <laughs> we are all learning how to use YouTube videos as an effective tool and not as a crutch. Those, mm -hmm. we are in such a, education, especially higher education is in such a state of transformation right now that all of us are learning. It's scary. It's a scary time to be an educator. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's K-12 or higher ed or grad school or med school. It's absolutely terrifying when you can think that your doctor just needs to pull out her phone and ask, oh, these are the symptoms. What's what's wrong with the patient? <laughs> and AI and AI will give you the answer. But um, so I want to well, add a little I, bit. I got it. I got it. I heard this um, analogy. AI is like a really, really smart, creative toddler that will occasionally lie to you. <laughs> uh, that's pretty accurate. At least right now, 
at the time right. of this recording in January of 2024. <laughs> that's, that's accurate. That may change even by next year at this time. So Tamika, I want to jump to you on this because um, something that that you're talking about kind of like being on stage. Um, I would like you to kind of jump into that a little bit more because it, it has it's completely related to this question. Sure. Um, so when I think about the professional acting, um, you know, in my mind, I always call it being on stage, you know, like when the when the students walk in, you know, I could be in the classroom by myself and I'm I'm in my whatever I have going on. You know, I can be feeling uh, sad or angry or tired or, you know, all the feelings that I may be you know, experiencing as Tamika, the human being, the person, the mother, the, the co-worker, the mom, the sister, all of that. But the moment a student walks in, I have to switch. It's like, and and to me, as soon as I heard, hear the door open, it's like, or I hear the laughter outside the door getting closer. It's like showtime. Like, yeah. come on, girl, pull it together. You got to, you know, suppress the feelings, push down the emotions, suck up whatever it is, what other, whatever attitude or um, things that I may have going on personally, I have to check that at the moment. Like, just put it on the shelf and be present, make sure that they get the best version of me, that they see the welcoming, smiling face, uh, because I have to face them. They are the audience. They are coming to receive something from me, and they are not here to receive the attitude. They're not here to receive the negative or the tired exhaustion uh, that I may have just had five seconds before they walked in the room. You know, they expect me to uh, be excited about the content that is very boring to, to them at sometimes. Sometimes the content is boring and I try my best to make it exciting, but, you know, I have to put forth my best effort and they have to see that, um, you know. So, yeah, you're on, you're, you're turned on and that's exhausting in itself because your class may be 50 minutes, but then your class may go, you know, maybe one of those two to three hour type courses. And so you're on before class when they come in, you're on when class is over and you have like the students that come up after the, the course, after the teaching session, they follow you back to your office. So you're still on, you're on when you see your, you know, they leave and now your coworkers are coming back because they don't want to hear you griping or seeing you sad and depressed unless you, you know, somebody you're really close with. So for me, I wait until like I get in the car and that's where I have my moment of, I just sit in silence. I I drive in silence when I've had a full day of being on because I have to come down off of that. I have to separate. Um, I don't ride with the radio on. If I'm at home, like work, uh, doing a remote, <clears throat> you know, working remotely and teaching remotely, I leave my office. I actually close the laptop down. Not that that makes a difference because I'm walking out the door. So, But to me, it's like I have to close the laptop walk out the door, close the door to the office. So that to me is, I'm turned off. And then I go somewhere in the house where no one else is. And I just sit to gather myself just to have some time to just reflect. Um, or sometimes I even reflect because I don't want to think I've been thinking all day and I've been talking and listening to other people's talking. Um, and so I just kind of sit by myself and and have those moments so that I can switch out of the work or teacher headspace and then be in the headspace for 
you know, whatever is next, which is my, my, my main full-time job, which is my house, <laughs> which is my family. And I want to, you know, make sure I'm present for them. But of course, you know, then that's overwhelming because I've gone from listening and teaching and listening to student issues to having maybe 15, 20 minutes of separation to then jump in to hear about my family's days and, you know, and all the things that go along with that. So um, that's how I do it. I'm not sure if that works for everybody, but it does work for me. Hey, it might resonate with somebody who's listening right now. And they may mm -hmm. be like, yeah, I need to shut that door. <laughs> yeah. Shut the door. That to me, is like a final of, I'm done with that. You know, door. shut the left. Yeah. That I'm, I'm listening. I'm hearing you. So our final question of today is just again, follow. Finally, do you have any final suggestions? Anything that, as we've been talking, that you thought about? Wow, I think this would really help people uh, when dealing with the emotional labor of teaching. Anything final you'd like to say, Darlene? Well, I'm piggybacking on Tamika's self care routine. I think we all have our own self-care routines. We all have those things that we need to do to wind down, to process. My advice would be to find yours. Uh, determine what it is that works for you and go with that. Lately, I've got, you know, we all have different self-care routines and we need to practice them because we cannot get up tomorrow and give the same amount of energy to those that are trying to learn from us if we don't and block out your calendar block out <laughs> your calendar for that time and, mm -hmm. and even your calendar block will say me 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 <laughs> <laughs> or all about me or something like that because I don't know about you Caleb has three jobs you know I have multiple hats like sometimes it just takes it's too much and if you don't carve that time out and allow yourself that time, mm -hmm. easily taken over by somebody else or something else. Caleb, what do you think? What's your final uh, thought? Yeah, I, I got two of them. <laughs> so the first one is, you know, on, on that front, I mean, it's also important to surround yourself with people um, who also help you stay on track with taking care of yourself. And when you were talking about blocking the calendar, I have a, a wonderful colleague who helps me manage my schedule. And um, I remember on one particular day, I had a lot of back-to-back -back very difficult conversations in meetings. Uh, and then uh, in the middle of the afternoon, I went to see what my next meeting was and it said, breathe, breathe. And it gave me a 30 minute break. Um, and it was so nice just to have someone who I, like in that moment, I couldn't take, I didn't recognize that I needed to take some time, but um, she was there to to help me. So having surrounding yourself with support uh, is also important because you can you can lose track because also the other side of emotion is that you care about it. And so you can you can dive in and forget about yourself. my My bigger point to take away is, you know, this goes back to the professionalization and something that we're often told to keep that that distance between our students and ourselves. Uh, and I say that that's um, you know, absolute BS. Uh, it's more important to be 100% real with your students, uh, be vulnerable with them. If you're open and vulnerable about uh, and transparent about your situation and about the class and about the course, uh, this is going to help on all fronts. It helps them as individuals relate to you and see you as a person 
It helps you see them as a, as a person and as a colleague. Uh, it helps you when you have to have other difficult conversations uh, as you do as an instructor or as an educator. So it winds up just helping on all front that when we can get past some of the, the broader structures and the historical baggage coming along with being a higher educator is to, is to just be real with them uh, and connect with them on a level where they're, you know, they are um, partners. And I, I really love that, Tamika, partners in this educational journey. And therefore, they're, they have the, the right to understand the full context. And that gives them also the responsibility to do their, their duties as well. So I think it's important just to be very open, honest, and transparent with, with our students. And Tamika, last but not least, what are your final thoughts? So my final thought is, you know, allow yourself some grace. You know, I think we're really hard on ourselves because we are the teachers. You know, there's a lot of expectation that comes along with that. There's a, a you know, a burden sometimes that comes with that. You know, people think we actually got our all of our stuff together, <laughs> that we know we're the experts on everything or that we, we actually... Um, have it all together. And some days we just don't. And it's okay. You know, I think, you know, we give grace to others around us and give them the benefit of the doubt. We need to also do that for ourselves and, and to accept that we're not going to always, you know, hit our targets or our marks every time. Sometimes we're, you know, that crown isn't sitting straight up on our, on the top of our head. It's kind of tilted to the side, but it's still up there, even if it's tilted. Um, and then accept that, your best is more than enough. You, you've you given all you have given. And yes, it was exhausting at the end of the day or after the end of the project or whatever it is that we, we do, um, we're faced with in our roles as educators, but know that, you know, we've given it all, everything that we got. And that was more than enough. I love it. That's like the perfect thing to end on. Thank oh, you. Thank you three so much for being part of this today and for making me smile and for making me think that I know why I became an educator, just like mm -hmm. talking with the three of you. It's like, yeah, this is why I do what I do. And I know this is why you do what you do as well. So thank you for your time. And thank you for those who are listening. I hope you have a great evening. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Teaching in the City. This podcast is produced by the Center for Teaching Excellence and Innovation at Rush University. To learn more about City and to find additional resources and events on teaching and learning at Rush, search for CTEI Rush in your web browser or find us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. Thank you.